Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Well, this season of Lent, we're considering the different practices uh, that Jesus shows as we follow the simple invitation that we have from Jesus to learn to follow him. We're looking at different practices that Jesus embodied so that we can, can practice this in our own life and in practicing this in our, in our community. The first week... In our season uh, of Lent, this Lenten study, we had uh, a discussion around the practice of Sabbath, keeping Sabbath, holding Sabbath in our life. The next week, we, we talked about sharing uh, about the good news of Jesus. Last week, we talked about what does it mean to have a life formed by the cross. And this week, we're going to talk about Jesus' practice of healing people. In all my years of church going, of being around church, I've actually, I've thought about this, I've never heard a sermon or message about healing, about the practice of healing people. And the interesting thing is, as I look through the four different accounts of, of, of the Gospels, the Gospel accounts, the different stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I found that there are 727 verses about Jesus healing people. 727, that makes up about 20% of the Gospels. 20% of the Gospels are stories and accounts of Jesus healing people. And the interesting thing is, if that's the case, how, why is it that it takes such a small percentage of, uh, of our sermons, of our messages, of our conversations, and even a small percentage of our prayers? Why isn't healing something that we talk about, practice, embody more in our life? I think I, I, think I know why. Though many of us can tell stories of where people we're healed or we've witnessed or even experienced unforeseen, unforeseen healing and restoration in our life, there are for many of us for which this conversation is actually a place of frustration, doubt, or maybe even anger towards God, of a prayer for healing that never was answered, of a relationship that fell apart and wasn't restored, about a loved one who didn't get well, we prayed for God to break through the fog of addiction, to bring about clarity to someone's life, and it didn't happen. And then we're left on the end of that side after praying and seeking for healing, and we don't know what to do. I know for me, personally, many years ago, I was invited to go on a mission trip to Mexico. And it was with a church I really didn't know well, but I decided to step out of my comfort zone, right? Step out of my comfort zone, I'm going to go to Mexico on this mission trip. And on this trip, I remember someone coming to me and saying, tonight, uh, just to let you know, God has given me a word for you, Mark. They came to me and said this. God has given me a word for you that, that you're going to heal someone tonight. And I was like, okay. Like, uh, my, in my church upbringing, uh, we didn't talk about that that much. We didn't practice that that much. But I was like, all right, maybe, maybe it might be the case. So on this mission trip, we would go to this public place, this park or this plaza, and we would have worship, and we would pray for people as they came by. And uh, I remember this old elderly man was walking by with a cane, and uh, someone said, Mark, I think that's the person that the Lord's going to heal tonight. I was like, again, outside my comfort zone, I was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. So I remember going over there to, to ask if I could pray for him. I don't know any Spanish, by the way. So I asked if I could pray for him. And I pray for him, and then one by one, other college students join me in praying for this man. And so after a while, there's around maybe 20, 25 of us praying for this man. 
And the more people get there, the louder we get, the more zeal and passion we get. And I remember praying for a while and then opening up my eyes and, and looking at this man, and he was obviously frightened. <laughs> Can you imagine like an elderly person just wanting to walk home and all of a sudden someone, this young person who doesn't know your language, asks you something, and then 25 screaming college students all around you, surrounding you, putting their hands on you and praying for you. And I looked at him, and he was frightened, and I was like, okay. So the prayer kind of died down, and with his cane, he left there looking behind him often, you know, like, they going to follow me. And I remember going, that was weird. Like, what, what was that about? Maybe if I had more faith, would that man have been healed? Was that, was that person just foolish? Was that wrong of them to have this experience of God and put it on me? And to make things worse, a leader later on pulled me inside and rebuked me for praying out of my own spirit which is why this person wasn't healed. And I remember going, I'm not doing that ever again. <laughs> Yet, we have Christ. We have the experience of Christ who brought about healing wherever he went. And he also led these disciples and taught them how to bring about healing in this world. And as much as I, as a young age, I wanted to leave that behind, that practice, because it was uncomfortable, it was frustrating, it actually brought out some doubt in me of like, is this just made up? Rather than just leaving that in, in the past, I began this journey of rediscovering what does healing really look like in our day and age? Because if we are honest, we believe that Jesus can heal, but we're unsure about how this actually impacts my reality, our, our reality together, our view of the world, our prayer life, how it impacts our hope from God. So today what I, what I hope to share and what I hope to make a little bit clearer is what this practice of healing could look like in our life as we follow Jesus in his power to restore and renew all things. A summary of what Jesus did in his three and a half years here in this world was, is found in, in Matthew 9.35. This is what it says. In his three and a half years of public ministry, this is the summary of what he did. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, who so he was teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So his big subject matter was about there's a new kingdom. It's a new kingdom and there's a new king. And healing every disease and sickness. There it is. And out of this, we find 727 verses that speak to how Jesus did this. And if you were to study those 727 verses, what you'll find out is this. Although he healed people, he met people specifically with what their need was and healed them in ways that were particular to what they needed in life, where they were. So Jesus healed people differently. For some people, the healing was in a touch. For other people, it was through a spoken word. Some people, Jesus healed from a long distance. Some people he spat on and healed them. Another time I read, heard a story this week where Jesus put his finger in someone's ears. He did that. He used mud. He, he, asked, he, 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 healed people for, he healed people that didn't even ask to be healed. If you continue to read this, what we find is Jesus did not have one size fit all for the way in which he healed and restored people. He couldn't heal people in one town. Jesus could not heal people in one town because they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. 
So if you think that healing is a simple, clear-cut principle, these 727 verses say that's not the case. But this is what I know of Jesus. This is what I know about Jesus and something that is this ultimate passion of what it meant for him to heal. Is that Jesus wanted to make the whole person whole. Every bit of people. He wanted to make them whole. Jesus didn't just care about the soul of a person to get them into the afterlife, get them into heaven. No, he cared for the whole person. That includes the here and now. That includes the physical world. It includes the whole person. The social healing. Emotional healing. Spiritual healing, yes, but also mental healing. Relational healing. We find this in Jesus. That he wanted to make the whole person whole. To show this to you, I thought I would share just snippets of some of my favorite, all-time favorite stories of Jesus' healing, and in doing so, you'll see the broad nature of Christ's compassion and his healing power. So here are some, here's a highlight reel, if you will. This is my sports center highlight reel of Jesus' healings. One of my favorites is when Jesus was in this one town, he was, he was becoming really popular. It was known that people, that Jesus was, could heal, and so these friends had this one friend who was paralyzed, who was on a mat, they were determined as a community that they're going to take this friend and place him in front of Jesus in the beliefs that if they do so, that Jesus will heal him. So Jesus is going to this one home. They think, great, we'll, we'll bring our friend to this home. They bring him to this home, and they find that it's like this crazy, crowded home. This, they, so word had gotten out, and there's no way at all that they can find their way in. So maybe three of the friends were like, well, maybe we'll wait. And then the crazy friend goes... What about that roof? They lift their friend upon the roof, and they start digging through the roof, knowing that there's nothing going to stop us but putting our friend's needs in front of Jesus. So imagine this party, dust and dirt and straw start falling through the roof, and all of a sudden, boop, here comes, looks down at someone. Yeah, he's there. And they start lowering their friend in front of Jesus. I'm sure the, the person owning this home loved this idea, right? And so here is this delicate moment where this man is being lowered down. He's on the floor. And then Jesus sees this man and forgives him of his sin. He goes to the chorus. He forgives him of his sin. And then the people there goes, what? Who is Jesus to do that? But then Jesus says, he knows their hearts, knows their minds, and says, I know, you're, I know what you're thinking. Who am I? Who am I to forgive sin? But so you'd know that the Son of God can forgive sin, I can now tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus is saying, I have authority to bring the whole person whole, to make the whole person whole. And so this man stands up. Out of compassion of Jesus, he's made whole physically, but he's also first made whole spiritually. And this man gets his mat, and he walks home. And I love this final scene that I make up in this story of the with the four friends on the roof, watching their friend dancing home, carrying the mat, praising God for the salvation that he just experienced. Something kind of interesting. In the Greek, the word for healing is like the word salve, which is actually the same root word for salvation. They're one and the same. They're two of the same things. Another story, this woman had been afflicted with bleeding for 12 years. And the way Scripture talks about this woman is that, is that she tried everything to get better and 
And every time she tried something, things just got worse. Sounds like some of our lives. We try to, to find the solution. Things just get worse. But then she hears how Jesus can heal people. Jesus comes to her hometown, and because she's unclean, there's like, it's a huge toll on her life. It's not only a toll on her physically, and also not a toll on her financially. She says she spent everything she had to try to get better. But also, she was seen as ceremonially unclean. She couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't make her prayers in the temple, make her sacrifices in the temple. She couldn't be touched by people. She had no experience of intimacy in her life, physical intimacy of her life. She couldn't be touched, held. She was alone. Anytime she went into public, she would have to declare to people, unclean, someone unclean is coming by, lest they actually touch her and become unclean themselves. But when Jesus comes to your town, your little flicker of hope will make you do something crazy. So as Jesus was walking down the road, this woman thought to herself, maybe, maybe if I just get to touch the edge of his robe, maybe that would just make me whole. I won't have to say anything. I won't have to make myself known. I just touch the edge of his cloak. And as Jesus was walking by, sure enough, she went from the shadows where, where she had spent 12 years of her life, and then she walked out. And in a moment, she grabbed onto Jesus, the edge of Jesus' uh, cloak. And immediately, she was healed. She knew it. But then Jesus, knowing what happened, said, hold up, who just touched me? Like a divine germaphobe, right? Who just touched me? And the disciples said, no, uh, <laughs> Jesus, there's a huge crowd around you. We're all touching you. He said, no, 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 someone just touched me. And he turned around and saw this woman. And she fell at his feet. And the community probably knew her. And then Jesus says these words that restored her more than physically, but it restored her socially, restored her in a, in a, in a religious way, it restored her to God. He said, daughter, he calls her daughter, lifts her up, your great faith has healed you. And she was honored in front of the community, brought in, and called good. Jesus wants to make the whole person whole. Another time, Jesus walked, he uh, took a boat to this one land and got out, and there was this man there who was tormented mentally. He was tormented mentally, and, and his community didn't know what to do with him. They tried restraining him with chains, but every time he would break free, they didn't know what to do. So they pushed him literally to the um, And he lived in the graveyard. He would spend day and night screaming and crying and cutting himself. There was brokenness mentally. There was brokenness emotionally, brokenness physically and spiritually. And Jesus saw him and casted out those evil spirits that had been tormenting him. Jesus took compassion on him and restored this man mentally and hopefully eventually physically, but restored him spiritually as well. This man was so moved by what Jesus had done that he said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your disciple. And if you know all of like, the Gospels, you know that Jesus, like, he was passionate about saying, come and follow me. But Jesus looks at this man and says, you go home. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus wanted this man not only restored mentally and physically, but he wanted him restored 
community, his family. Jesus sent this man back to the community that shunned him and pushed him to the outside as a messenger of reconciliation, that Jesus can make the whole person whole. I wish I had time to share more stories about how Jesus healed the blind. He gave the mute a voice. He touched the leper. He brought back a little girl from death and Lazarus from death. I wish we had time to share that all of it would say the same thing, that Jesus, the Son of God, wants to and has power to make the whole person whole. That is what Jesus came here to do. Jesus lived his life of healing and restoring people. That's how he lived his days, but that's also how and why he died his death. Prophecy written about Jesus hundreds of years before he came said it clearly. This is in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and by his wounds we are healed. Upon the cross is ultimate healing and restoration. Jesus, God, did not just heal us from a distance. He was not untouchable. He took on our suffering. He knows your pain. He knows that He's taken it on Himself. And by His wounds, we are made whole. We are saved. We are healed. That is good news, my friends. That is good news. But what is challenging for many of us is how we enact this healing in our life, in our world. Once Jesus, after he displayed how to heal people, Jesus, one day like any other, turned around and said, okay, your turn. <laughs> and Jesus gave them his power and said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. As we experience and freely receive healing from Jesus in the presence of our life, then we are called to freely give, to extend this healing into this world, to touch the untouchable, to find the lonely in the margin and befriend them and bring them back to community, to give voice to the voiceless, to, fi to find the religious and social outcasts and call them a daughter and a son of the most high, most loving God, we are invited into this ministry to make the whole person whole through Christ. Jesus still wants that healing and restoration. And the primary conduit for Jesus to make this real in our world is through you. It's through me. Jesus still wants the whole person made whole. And we have this invitation from Jesus to continue this ministry in this world. I think many of us, we just need a little bit of understanding and we need a whole lot of courage. So, let's do the understanding part. Here's some considerations for how we can practice healing in this world. First off, we believe that God is still active, alive, and powerful. We can say amen to that. We still believe that God is active, alive, and powerful. He is not done doing things in our world. The power of Christ that was displayed didn't go with Christ when he rose from the dead. It is actually here and now that people can be healed and restored. I saw a picture of this recently. 
We have a compassion group, and a compassion group is groups in our church that, that we like to go do, uh, serve our community together. We go enact compassion together. And there's a group, small group of us that go out to a place called The Refuge, which is a home for girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking. They're brought there, and in a, for months or years, they are restored. They, they are restored. And so some of us, we go out there every other month, and we provide a, a worship service, and we uh, bring a meal. Unfortunately, on this day, I was the only one that uh, could play guitar out of this group. And unfortunately, that means that I was going to lead worship. Now, I've been out there two months ago, and there is this uh, young girl, African-American girl, and I'll call her Sarah, that I met there. She wouldn't make eye contact with me. When she turned in the room where we were and saw that it was me and man there, she got uncomfortable. She was very quiet. She was kind of a shell of a person. Uh, and I wasn't sure how Sarah would do. Um, but then I heard that a couple weeks before this, some volunteers showed up. And there's these three, they were been, these three uh, African-American women had been praying for the refuge, and they were invited to come in on work, in this night of worship. And Sarah gravitated to them like mother figures. And the friendship of these women and Sarah just, God used it in a powerful way to develop a friendship. So we go there last Sunday, three of us go there, and uh, again, unfortunately, I have my, my, my guitar ready, and I, I walk in, and someone pulls me aside and says, a girl wants to sing a song for worship tonight. I go, okay, that's great. One less song I have to play. And I said, who is it? And they said, Sarah. I was like, okay. And uh, so Sarah, she gets up, and uh, she sings this song called Chainbreaker. Take that in for a second. And these three women, they're singing backup. And I think I would sound awesome if these three women were singing backup for me. They were awesome. But she starts singing. Uh, and the words of the song are so powerful. That there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain. And these women who had been praying for Sarah by name were singing this over her, and you could tell like, this was emboldening her. She was singing uh, this song about her own deliverance, and these women were encouraging, even encouraging while she sang. And what it, was, it was incredible to me was I was seeing this girl who was a shell of a person two months ago. And I was seeing her now, and she like, was transformed. I know we could chalk it up to therapeutic care and intervention. And I really believe in the midst of all of that, though, Christ was healing her. Christ was healing her through the presence of these women who loved her, through the staff and volunteers who cared for her. And Sarah's being made whole. She's being made whole. She's being given a song of deliverance. And chains are being broken. God is active, alive, and powerful in our world and can heal us. We have to believe that. It begins there. Secondly, we know that healing is a process. Many of us pray for healing. We want to see an immediate change. Oftentimes, Jesus, it was the word immediately they were healed. But there are times in which Jesus healed people and it was a process. It took a while. And what we need to see about Jesus in this 
is that Jesus never gave up. That Jesus stayed with them until they were made whole, fully whole. Jesus was never frustrated, never reluctant. Jesus was there. We need to understand that healing can be a process. I'm sure that if I saw this, uh, if I saw Sarah at the refuge day in and day out, I probably it would have been harder for me to see the progress of healing that was happening in her life. But because I had a snapshot two months later, I go, man, that was immediate. No, it actually was over time. Slowly, Jesus was healing and restoring her. And uh, we get to have this opportunity to pray and to press in for healing, believing sometimes it's going to take a process. We have to keep praying for healing when that person or relationship or situation seems like it's after taking two steps forward, takes a step, a huge step back. We don't give up. It's not what Jesus did. Healing can be a long process. Thirdly, we trust and entrust our needs to God. I think many of us are afraid to pray for healing. This, what I hear as a pastor in pastoral care, many of us are afraid to pray for healing because what if it doesn't come true? I set myself up for expectation and it doesn't come true. It's going to cause more pain, more frustration towards God. Or what if I actually bring my request to God and the answer is no? <laughs> no, that I won't be healed. In the mystery surrounding this topic, all I can do is just to lean towards Scripture. And I'm reminded in James 4.2, it says this, and this challenges me, is that you do not have because you do not ask God. <laughs> I am guilty of allowing my fears to hold me back from pressing to, into God, having my, herds net, heard, my, my needs heard by the great healer. God is a good, loving parent. And what parent, good, loving parent, doesn't want to hear the heart and mind of their child? I, as imperfect, and I'm a, I am not perfect as a dad, I want to hear my kids' dreams and thoughts and desires, their hopes and fears, even if the answer is no. I'm not getting a unicorn or a pony, but I love hearing Dylan ask for it. Why? Because I want her to be known, and I want, I, want, I want her to know that I fully know her. I want to know her thoughts and her hearts. And I just believe that more and more God is inviting me, and I think us as a community, what if we were more bold in making our requests known to God, entrusting our needs and prayers to God? But there will be times where the answer is no. I'm reminded of how Paul, how he prayed three times that God would take away his thorn, and after the third time, my guess was the answer was spoken in silence, that after the, after the third time, the answer was no. So then Paul turns his prayers from the prayer of a miracle that he would be healed to a prayer of a need of grace. He started praying for grace. I know that Christ's power will be, this is what he said after this, I know that his power will be made perfect in my weakness knowing that His grace will be sufficient. It will be enough for me. So when our answer is no, we've already pressed into God. Now we just turn our needs to a need of grace. God, if you aren't going to take this away, then I am completely and wholly dependent upon you. You're going to have to show up and bring me through this. And by the way, I think there are few prayers that, that God and Jesus want more for our life than that, for us to be 
dependent upon him. That's when God gets to show off. So for us, knowing that God's a good, good parent, we trust and entrust our needs to God. And then lastly, when it comes to healing and praying for healing and awaiting healing, we also need to await the ultimate healing. I have some harsh news uh, for us. There's no getting out of this world alive. Even Lazarus, who was brought back from the dead, guess what? He died again. (laughs) There's no cure for being human. And many of us, we love the worship service of of Ash Wednesday. I think it's because we really need to remember these words that we are dust. We are fragile people. We're like jars of clay. We're fragile. But we have this treasure. We hold this treasure that though we're fragile, though we're mortal, that we belong to God in eternal promises. We live in such a physical, visible world that we often overemphasize the tangible, the here, the physical world, and we neglect the eternal truths. I have found that this statement in my own life has been helpful. Uh, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. <laughs> I found that, that idea helpful for me because I over-identify with the physical here and now, my body, this is who I am, when in fact, we are soulful people. And there's more to life than this existence. As we talked about last week, there's a sense of restlessness that we experience in the human condition But this all points us to a different world. The pain that we have, the sickness and loss, the heartache in losing people who disappear in Alzheimer's or addiction or death. This is not what our hearts are created for. So we cling to some of the last words in our Bible. That we are created for a world, and this is Revelation 21.4, we are created for a world where Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or for the old order of things have passed away. There's a reason why Jesus married healing and salvation because this will be the sure experience for those whom God claims as his children, that this will be your sure eternal experience, healing and salvation where you will be made whole for all of time, whole with God, whole with others. Their healing, our healing in this world is in part, but it will be found in full when we pass from that side of life to the other. In a weird way, I found comfort in this word that death is for God's children the ultimate healer. Because death is the threshold in which we enter into life, true life, where we will never be more alive as we are on that day when we live forever in wholeness with Jesus, our healer for all time. Healing is a byproduct of a life with God. And as we follow Jesus and continue to experience all our needs as we take it to God, we will bring that healing into this world. As we freely receive from God, we're called to freely give. So remember, God is alive and active. Healing is a process You can trust and entrust your needs to God all as we wait the ultimate healing.